All right, well, we're going to jump back into our study of Proverbs after a little bit of a uh, side road yes, uh, last week, and we're going to step into Proverbs chapter 4. Um, probably take two different studies to do this. I, I want to uh, do a more extended study uh, starting next week on the heart. I mentioned that last week, um, but we'll kind of lead up to that today in our time. But as a way of introduction, I'd like to get uh, some feedback to see if, um, if answers to this question or different thoughts around this question would yield up what I think would be some common uh, thinking, some common ideas around it. So if I were to just put the question out there, and just there's no one answer that I'm looking for, but if I were to put the question out there, what are some of the most common, and I'm speaking very generally, I know that God makes us all unique, but what are some of the most common characteristics of children or young people? They're just generally common. You just kind of see them across the board in most cases. Energetic. Resilient. Resilient. Immature. Immature. Carefree. Are you no, are you noticing are you noticing the uh, the nuance of each statement? Right, that's right. It's exactly right. Uh, yeah. So so that kind of is maybe the other side of that coin, if you will. That there's a lack of forethought, a lack of future thinking of consequence. Often, what else? Lack of wisdom. A lack of wisdom. How dare you say such a thing? Right. Yeah, that's right. You earned the gray hairs, didn't you? Uh, they're very trusting. Or the flip side. We actually talked about this idea of being very trusting. It, the Proverbs calls it the simple. It refers to those who are gullible or easily sort of led or even possibly led astray down a, a, a wrong path. Naive. What about impulsive or impatient, generally, right? Or is it not, is, would this be a fair characterization, and again, in broad sweeps, general terms, would it be a fair characterization that it's not uncommon for young people to prefer new things as opposed to old things. I know that there's a resurgence in sort of retro styles and, you know, let me get a record player and play my vinyls and all that sort of stuff. I mean, I get all of that, and I know that there is an interest in, you know, nostalgic, retro kind of cultural icon type things and that kind of thing. But in general, right, most young people have, they're more interested in what's new and upcoming than what's old what's ancient, what's in the past. Is it fair to generalize that children, and again, this is not necessarily a purely um, purely character issue, but I've already offended some of the younger people in the group. They're already leaving. <laughs> um, not necessarily a, 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 a character issue, but it could be. Um, Young people don't often listen well, and that could be they don't often listen carefully 
Um, they don't pay attention as well. Or um, there's also some, you know, some developmental, um, you know, neurologically developmental realities there that that contribute to some of that. But there's also just a, a tendency to be overly focused on their world, and their world is small, and it's right in front of them. So. I'm speaking of people who are like 79 and younger. <laughs> so, but the I, I, reason why I bring this up is because it leads us into uh, our time today. And I want you to be thinking about this and thinking about this whole section of Proverbs because this is a section of a father's instruction to his son or sons. This is, this is parental wisdom, the, the effort of, of passing on fatherly wisdom to the youth and you'll find that it is there there's a there's a certain degree of repetition in this i mean you've kind of seen some of this before in prior chapters but all of it ties into what is really necessary uh, for instructing young people uh, what is necessary in light of some of the characteristics that are typically or, or typical of young people in general but I want you to think about these characteristics of being impatient or, um, or really having a preference for what is new versus what is old, or even just having to repeat things because the attention span's not there, or there's just a lack of, of uh, thoughtfulness, careful contemplation of information being, being presented. Let's just read chapter 4 together. We're not going to... We're not going to dig into every single verse, but I do want to get the entire chapter kind of framed up in our minds so that we can kind of walk through it in a sort of a section or thematic kind of approach. Proverbs chapter 4. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you might gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight, and do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of righteousness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked. And do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. 
Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech, and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward, and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Now I want to take a look at this chapter Again, because Proverbs tends to have repeated ideas and repeated principles throughout, this is no different. We've seen a lot of these ideas and and principles, both in terms of the the instruction, the admonition, the cautions, and then the the corresponding uh, benefits or rewards to be gained by heeding the cautions or listening to the admonitions or following the instruction. You have these references to long life or length of days a theme that's repeated throughout Proverbs and that we've looked at before. You have the, the idea of, of keeping your path straight or guarding you from stumbling. Um, you have all the various uh, rewards of, of, of wisdom that are outlined here in similar type ideas, but you also have this valuing of wisdom, this putting forward to the son, to the youth, to the young person, to recognize that wisdom has intrinsic value to you. You need to prize it. You need to honor it. You need to hold it in high regard and high esteem. Very similar to what we saw in Proverbs chapter 2, for example. These ideas are repeated throughout this section. But what I want to do is opposed to kind of walking through these ideas again and elucidating them in the same way because they really, the, the meaning of them, the intent of them doesn't change. In fact, going back to what we talked about at the very beginning about the nature or some of the common characteristics of young people, instructing them in wisdom requires a tremendous amount of repetition. How many of you as parents have had to repeat yourself to your children? Instructions, right? I mean, it's just a basic, fundamental principle of both teaching and instructing, but also of parenting. And it's no different in instructing young people in the pathways of wisdom. But what's interesting about this chapter, in addition to all that I've just said, that is sort of repeated ideas that we've seen before and we'll certainly see again, is this this picture of a pathway. You see this theme that develops of wisdom being a pathway. And so I want to talk about wisdom as a pathway, as it's described in, in this chapter. A few different ideas or characteristics that I want to focus on that I think are certainly highlighted in this passage, and you can just tell by the the, repeat, the repetition of these ideas. But again, thinking of this in light of who the audience is in this instruction, the son, the young person, the children, young people, a young man, for example. So the first thing I want to draw your attention to is to notice that the pathway to wisdom is a long and old pathway. Young people who are prone toward impulsiveness or impatience, or who are inclined toward preferring new versus old, there's a collision here that happens, a natural collision here. And it's the same for all of us as whether we're, regardless of how old we are in our youth, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, that we collide with this principle of preferring what is new, what is out there, what, like newer sometimes is equated with better. In fact, in our culture, and this is no different than past cultures, it was very common for 
things that are old to be sort of set aside for what is new, because new always means improved. And so there's that, that ethos in our culture as well, that new is better, but the pathway to wisdom is not new, it's old. It's old, and we see that here. It's a long pathway too. So if you're prone toward impatience, if you're prone toward needing some quick answer, some quick remedy, some quick solution, some quick formula, if I do this, if I say this, if I step here or go that way, then all of a sudden I've arrived at this place of wisdom. No go, no good. That is not the path of wisdom. It is a long, old pathway. Now the thing that's interesting about this this section is that Solomon takes us to the, the instruction that he received from his father. And you see this in starting in verse 3. He says, When I was a son with my father. Look there in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 3. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one on the side of my mother, he taught me and he said to me, Let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. He's drawing attention to his son, drawing his son's attention, I should say, to the fact that this pathway of wisdom, it's a long one, and it's an old one. And what I'm passing on to you has come well before me. And so the the, the challenge that's before us, both as parents who might be instructing our children, or as Believers who are seeking to grow in wisdom according to the Word of God, we need to recognize that it is, a, it is an old path, it is an ancient path. That our, our tendency to, perf, to prefer new and shiny things, particularly in the air that we breathe in this culture, can often be a distraction, even a complete barrier to gaining wisdom. And he's putting this in front of his son by highlighting the fact that what I am passing on to you is what was given to me by my father. And and so we talked about this in past weeks, about the importance of passing wisdom on to the next generation. And and here's, here's him quoting from his own father's instruction and putting it before his son to say, this pathway of wisdom, it is long and it's old and it's ancient. He goes on in verse 11, I have taught you the way of wisdom, and I've led you in the paths of uprightness. So again, it's this pathway idea. It's a long, old pathway. He's giving us the impression, he's giving us the idea that this is a a way or a direction of life. And so everything that is entailed in that living out of life is part and parcel to the pursuit of gaining wisdom. We talked about this in past weeks too, about how it's easy for us to get into this formulaic way of thinking. We want to have check boxes that we can just check off. If I do this, and if I do that, then it'll equal this. I want a, a happy, prosperous life. So we approach things in Scripture... And you think about sort of a name it and claim it kind of theology and what it derives from. It's a similar, similar kind of premise, but we do it all the time, even if we aren't name it and claim it people. We want something, we have a desire for something, and maybe it's something that's noble or honorable or good or godly. But our thinking, in terms of how we're looking at uh, arriving at that place, 
attaining that virtue or that character quality or arriving at some place of settledness or peace or security or prosperity or whatever it might be, we set up these little one plus two plus three kind of formulas in our minds theologically. And that is not the pathway of wisdom. The pathway of wisdom is actually literally a pathway that you walk on. In other words, he's giving you the idea of literally walking in life and gaining wisdom through that walk, in the process of that walk. Verse 11, I've taught you the way of wisdom, and I've led you in the paths of uprightness. Verse 12, when you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Again, pictures of a pathway, a journey that you're on. Verse 18, the path of righteousness is like the light of the dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. He also cautions his son, and he cautions us. That the pathway of wisdom is a long old pathway, and it is indeed a pathway. It is a a way of living. It's a trajectory of life. It's real time. It's not a formula. It's not some ethereal concept out there. It's actually life in the trenches, lived out in a certain way and according to certain principles. But it's real life. It's a pathway. And he cautions, again, the the son of another pathway. He, He persists in this pathway idea When you look at verse 14, he cautions against the wicked pathway or the pathway of folly, if you want to use the the opposite of the pathway of wisdom, the idea. Verse 14, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Verse 19, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. So in other words, he's teaching us that this pathway... This life of wisdom is indeed a long pathway, generation to generation. It's not something that's new and shiny. It's not some new trinket that you can reach out for and sort of integrate it into your life and into your thinking. It's not some ethereal, spiritual, mystical kind of place that you arrive at, this place of spiritual enlightenment. It's real life lived out according to certain principles on a real path that has cautions, that has barriers, that has stumbling blocks in the way. It's real, a real pathway that we must walk on. In verse 12, he says, so, that you, so when you walk, your step will not be hampered. The implication there is, guess what? If you're not walking on this pathway in wisdom, your step will be hampered. There are things that will hinder you on this pathway toward wisdom. There are obstacles, there are snares, and the most vivid one that he describes is this general, is the opposite pathway, it's this pathway of the wicked. He akins it to deep darkness. He says they do not know over what they stumble. This pathway of the wicked is contrasted with the pathway of wisdom, which is a pathway that is, that is filled with the light of truth. So in other words, you're walking on this pathway, and we're going to talk about this in some other verses here in a moment, but you're walking on this pathway and you see the obstacles. Wisdom gives you the ability to see the obstacles and the snares before you stumble upon them. That's what he's instructing this son in. What my, what my instruction is providing for you is light on this pathway. Not some magical wand that makes these obstacles, these snares go away. 
It's wisdom in your heart and in your mind that allows you to, to circumvent, to overcome whatever obstacles or snares might be in the pathway that could be a distraction or even a deadly outcome for you. The path of the wicked, obviously, is the exact opposite of that. It's a pathway of complete darkness. They don't even know over what they stumble. Is, not that, is that not indeed characteristic of those who have given themselves over to a lifestyle of wickedness? They don't even know that they're stumbling all over the place. They don't even know that they're falling into trap after trap after trap because they're in complete darkness. They can't even see it. <coughs> when you think about this in the context of evangelism, in the context of seeking to um, um, present the truth of God's Word, the light of God's Word, to those who are, who are wayward, who are lost, we have to keep this imagery in our minds. That we're not, we're not dealing with people who just need their thinking tweaked a little bit. We're not dealing with people that just need to have the information presented in a little bit better way. A little bit more compelling package. Put the, put the information in a way that really you know, might resonate with them in a little bit better way or might, might make them think you know, that's a really cool way to think about it. No. We're talking about people who are in darkness and it's a deep darkness, and it's so deep that they're stumbling, and they don't even know what it is they're stumbling over. But they give the impression like all is well. That's, that's the pathway of the wicked. That's the pathway of folly. But he says in verse 18, The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Self-deception, yeah, that's exactly right. So this is a long and old pathway. It is indeed a pathway, and it's, it's, it's an ancient pathway. So, a little caution here. There's often, this is more of a sort of a... Um, just a, a caution in your thinking when you're when you're if you're if you're one who studies who likes to study theology or likes to read up on you know different people writing. There's always going to be a new twist on ancient truth. There's always going to be a new and fresh angle on orthodox doctrine. Caution. Just be be careful. There's all kinds of divergence that's oriented towards some new way of thinking, even in the context of theological discussion, of instruction, of trying to teach and enlighten God's people. But this pathway of wisdom is, it's ancient, it's old, it's established, it's sound. He sums up this long old pathway toward the end of the chapter in verses 25 to 27 He says, let your eyes look directly forward. Again, this guidance on the pathway. Look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. And then this this really compelling statement. Ponder 
the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Ponder the path of your feet. There is this injunction for reflection on the steps that you're taking, on the path that you're walking. In other words, a lack of a reflective life, a lack of a thoughtful life, is oftentimes, almost invariably, going to be a life lived in folly and not in wisdom. There's this call to be thinking about the path that you're on, to pondering it, to to be almost like checking yourself and checking your thinking about the steps that you're taking. In other words, the path of wisdom is a path of reflection. It's a thoughtful path. It's not cavalier. It's not impulsive. It's not reactionary. It's not top of your head and go. Ponder the path. That's right. You could put it in a common you know, term, a common, common phrase. That's exactly right. Well, in addition to this pathway of wisdom being long and old, here's the other thing that I think emerges from this, this chapter, and, and again, with repeated emphasis. It's a long, old pathway of words. Of words. So in other words... <laughs> to be a little bit redundant. We are oftentimes oriented toward a new experience. We want to feel something more enlightening. We want to feel something more exhilarating. The path of wisdom is a long, old pathway of words, of propositional truth. And you see this over and over and over again. Verse 1, hear, be attentive, he says. Verse 2, I'm, I'm giving you good precepts. Be attentive to my teaching, he says. Verse 3 and 4, when I was a son, my father, with my father, tender, the only one on the side of my mother, he taught me and he said to me, Let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. Verse 5, get wisdom, get insight, do not forget, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Verse 10, hear my son and accept my words. Verse 13, keep hold of my instruction. Verse 20, my son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. The pathway of wisdom is a pathway of words, of propositional truth. Not ethereal, sort of spiritually experienced kind of concepts. It is, it is centered around the word of God, the commandments of the Lord, propositional, knowable Reflected upon, meditated upon, understandable, clear words. It's a pathway of words. Now consider this principle, this this idea of it being a pathway of words in light of where we are as a society today. 
So you can think about it in terms of what it's like, what, what, what's generally true about young people, but just broaden it out to just society as a whole and think about it in that context. I want to read to you a few uh, excerpts from a few different articles. Again, thinking about the pathway of wisdom being this pathway of words. This is an article from Los Angeles Times Magazine, dated September 22nd, 1991. That's, that's ancient in our day and time. That's old, old, old stuff. 1991, this article was written. The headline of the article, The Death of Reading. Will a nation that stops reading eventually stop thinking? This was written in 1991. What's missing from these pictures? Three people sit in a doctor's waiting room. One stares at the television that rests on an end table. The second fiddles with a handheld video game. The head of the third is wrapped in headphones. A couple of kids waiting for bedtime lie on the floor of a brightly painted room, busily manipulating the controls of a video game. 200 people sit in an airplane. Some have brought their own tapes. Tapes? 1991? Some doze. Most stare up at a small movie screen. What is missing from these pictures? And increasingly, and increasingly from our lives is the activity through which most of us learned much of what we know of the wider world. What's missing is the force that, according to a growing consensus of historians, again, this is 1991, a growing consensus of, of historians established our patterns of thought and, an important sen- and in an important sense made our civilization. What's missing is the venerable, increasingly dated activity that you are engaged in right now. Ironically, but not coincidentally, reading has begun fading from our culture at the very moment that its importance to that culture is finally being established. Its decline, many theorists believe, is as profound as, say, the fall of communism. And listen to this. And some have taken to prophesying that the downturn in reading could result in the modern world's cultural and political decline. 1991. Think about 2017. A mode of thinking is being lost, laments Neil Postman, whose book Amusing Ourselves to Death is a warning about the consequence of a fall-off in reading. I highly recommend that book. It's an older book, but it is, I mean, it's like so prescient in terms of forecasting. You'll think this guy wrote it yesterday, but he wrote it back in the 80s, mid-80s. A mode of thinking is being lost, he says, in his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death. It's a warning about the consequences of a fall-off in reading. He says, we are losing a sort of psychic habit, a logic, a sense of complexity, an ability to spot contradictions, and even falsity. He believes that this loss is now being felt in our cultural activities and in our politics, as well as in our children's SAT scores, and that it could get worse. 1991. Could get worse. What do you think? It did get worse, didn't it? But of course, such prophecies are delivered in print, so no one pays much heed. This article goes on to talk about, and again, this is 1991. I'm sitting there reading that, and I'm going, wow. 
I mean, when you look around at what's going on now, it's talking about it in 1991 as though it's, it's current reporting. And it ties so much of it to the breakdown in reflective thought that is also tied to the breakdown in the discipline of consuming the written word as just a common practice in our culture. Neil Postman says that new communication technologies giveth and they taketh away. On the debit side, Postman would place recent developments in art, education, religion, journalism, and politics, all of which in his view are losing the seriousness and intellectual content print gave them as they are transformed into show business to meet the needs of an electronic media. Listen to this. Reading demands that we sit still, be quiet, and concentrate hard enough to decode a system of symbols and follow extended arguments. This is an injunction that increasingly is falling on earphone-plugged ears. Television and its electronic brethren are much less strict. We can be cleaning, daydreaming, or half-dozing. They don't seem to care. All television demands is our gaze. Dazzling collages of imagery and rhythm are assembled just to get us to open our eyelids a bit wider. Kings used to turn thumbs down on spectacles that bored them. We simply press thumb to remote control, zapping any scene, exposition, or argument that takes much more than a fraction of a minute to unfold. Is that not true? Thinking, Postman writes, does not play well on TV. Well, you fast forward to 2014, more current information. On May 12, 2014, Common Sense Media announced the release of, of, an, of a study, Children, Teens, and Reading, a research brief that offers a unique big-picture perspective on children's reading habits in the United States and how they may have changed during the technological revolution of recent decades. From children's earliest ages, reading used to mean sitting down with a book and turning pages as a story unfolded. Today, it may mean sitting down with a device that offers multimedia experiences and blurs the line between books and toys. At the same time, for older children, much daily communication is now handled in short bursts of written text, such as text messages, emails, Facebook posts, posts and tweets. Among the, this report's key findings, reading rates have dropped precipitously among adolescents. The proportion of children who are daily readers dropped markedly from childhood to the tween and teenage years. One study documents a drop from 48% of 6- to 8-year-olds down to 24% of 15- to 17-year-olds who are daily readers. Another shows a drop from 53% of 9-year-olds to 19% of 17-year-olds. According to government studies, since 1984, the percentage of 13-year-olds who are weekly readers went down from 70% to 53%, and the percent of 17-year-olds who are weekly readers went from 64% to 40%. The percent of 17-year-olds who never or hardly ever read tripled during this period from 9% to 27%. And yet, Proverbs would tell us that the pathway to wisdom is a pathway of words. So, those of us living in the modern, newer is better show me moving images and special effects, don't bore me with written text, type of age and culture, guess what? It's not the pathway to wisdom. 
It is all the more incumbent upon us, both as parents and as people trying to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, to recognize the, the, the gravity, the significance of the cultural battle, the cultural sort of obstacles that we face every single day, the distractions that are before us all the time, but also to recognize that the discipline of consuming truth in its written form in the Word of God, the instruction of God's Word, and pondering it, meditating upon it, is absolutely necessary in the gaining of wisdom. It happens no other way. Thinking about long, old pathways of words, I want you to just think about this instruction for training up children. Very familiar. You guys know this, but just think about it in this context. Deuteronomy 6, 49. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. How important must words of truth be in the life of God's people if it it demands that consistency of exposure and repetition and putting them in front of you in all different kinds of media and binding them on your own person, and putting them on the gates of your home. These words, as you walk by the way, talk of them, speak of them, write them down. How about this one? Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet, and a light to my path. Pathway of wisdom is a pathway of words. And this is actually my favorite section of Psalms. And it's probably because I don't read enough, and that's you know, Psalm 1, and that's as far as I got. Psalm 1, 1 to 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Again, a path. Nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, words. And on his law he meditates, thinks about, reflects, ponders, considers, analyzes, evaluates. Day and night, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in all he does, he prospers. The pathway of wisdom, Proverbs 4 would teach us, is a long pathway. It's not a quick fix. It's an old pathway, not new shiny stuff. And it's a pathway of words, of propositional truth, of discernible principles put into words that we can think about, reflect upon, meditate upon, memorize, and have it shape our minds and form our decisions. And we're going to talk about this next time, because this pathway of wisdom is a long, old pathway of words that runs through the heart. 
It runs through the heart. And just to kind of touch on the, the key passage, there are others that we'll look at, but the key passage in this chapter, verses 20 to 23, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So next time we'll dig into the pathway of wisdom that runs through the heart. Any final thoughts or comments or... Um, it, as opposed to as opposed to um, mystical, ethereal concepts, it's like I'm putting truth in front of you. You could think of it if you want to think of it in terms of theological terms. There's this doctrine of the perspicuity of Scripture. It's it's clear. It's understandable. It's you can read it. You can discern its meaning. It's just it's it's there for you to understand. It doesn't mean that every passage of Scripture is not is completely 100% clear. It doesn't mean that you don't have to apply interpretive principles to understand historical context. And there's not, you know, there's some language gap things that are helpful. But the fact of the matter is, is that the, the bulk of biblical truth that is oriented toward helping us grow in godliness and wisdom is crystal clear and discernible. And we can reflect upon it and we can memorize it like word for word, phrase for phrase, and understand its meaning. Any other thoughts or comments? All right, well, thanks for your time, and let's pray, and we'll be dismissed.